Hey Gateway, great to be with you. I hope you are all keeping really well. Just want to add my welcome to you today. If you are connecting in with us at Gateway for the first time, great to have you along. My name is Colin. I am one of the pastors here at the church. We are carrying on in our preaching series in the book of Exodus, and I am super chuffed that we're back in this book. I love it. I think it is epic. I think it is such a foundational book for us as Christians to, uh, to understand uh, God's plan of salvation for the nation of Israel, but also for each one of us, that God intends to gather a people made up from every tribe, tongue, and nation. And it's, it's just a foundational book for us that we, we, we see God's plan of salvation. We see how God saves us and rescues us from sin. And as we know from the story of uh, the Exodus so far, that God has rescued the nation of Israel from slavery under the hand of Pharaoh in Egypt. And he's promised to bring them into a, their promised land, into a land where, where God will give to his people. And actually, that is also our story. Not that for us it's about coming out from slavery in Egypt, but actually the deeper human condition that we are slaves to sin, that we all are slaves to sin. And, and God in Christ Jesus has made a way to rescue us from that slavery and bring us into life in him, into also his promise land. And so this story that we're reading and, and engaging and thinking through it is also our story. It's, so, it's such a central story in the Bible, both within the book of Exodus itself and actually within the whole of Scripture. And in the New Testament, as we'll see in a bit, uh, different writers point back to this very chapter in the middle of Exodus that we're going to be in, chapter 19, uh, to help us understand Jesus and what he has accomplished on the cross and, and, what, and what, he has offered, what he offers us in terms of salvation. So let's get going in chapter 19 and verse 9. The Lord said to Moses, I am going to come to you in a dense cloud so that people will hear me speaking with you and will always put their trust in you. And then Moses told the Lord, told the Lord what the people had said. So previously last week when Al kicked us off again in this series, we saw that the people had agreed to this covenant relationship with God. Previously, God had made a covenant with Abraham, and now God is making a covenant with the nation of Israel. Now, just for a moment, I want you to hear the language in this verse, uh, in verse 9 that we've just read, uh, as God talks to Moses. He says this, he says, I, I'm going to come to you. I'm speaking to you. I want, I want you to trust me. And, and actually, earlier on in the chapter, he also says, I brought you out, I brought you out from slavery, and I, bought you, I brought you to myself. So I'm coming to you, and I'm bringing you to myself. And all through this chapter 19, we see Moses and God speaking together, and the people of Israel hearing God speak. And these are all facets of relationship. And I am convinced that, that the, the heartbeat, really, of the book of Exodus, in fact, in many ways, the message of the Bible is that it's a book that tells us that God is seeking relationship with men and women made in his image. That which was lost in the Garden of Eden when Adam sinned, 
The, the thing that was lost was relationship with God as Adam and Eve were kicked out of the garden. God has a plan to rescue us back into relationship with him. And I'm convinced that the heartbeat of this book is God is saying, I, I've saved you from slavery. But I, I haven't simply saved you from slavery and death. I've saved you for something, Israel. I've saved you for relationship. I've saved you to enjoy my presence. I really believe in these unprecedented days we're living in that, that God is saying this afresh to his church, that he wants, he desperately desires relationship with us as his people. I just want to ask you how your relationship with God is going in the midst of this lockdown as we're not able to gather together and worship God and, and hear his word together and encourage one another in, in the way that we normally would and the way that we normally enjoy. How is your relationship with God going? Because that is what God is about. And so I want to encourage you, please don't get to that point in your walk with Jesus. Say, yeah, I just don't like online worship. I mean, I understand that it's challenging. But, but the thing is, the worship isn't about the quality of it. It's about the one you get to worship. And I just want to encourage you in these days to not just uh, slack off and lose zeal for the presence and person of God in your life is so easy to do that. But no, we've got to contend for relationship with God. We've got to find ways to creatively strengthen and encourage one another in our walk with Jesus and to enjoy his presence in our lives. So what we discover in this chapter 19 is that relationship with God is not actually a straightforward issue. So although God desires relationship with us, there's this huge hurdle of sin that stops us being able to come into God's presence. Listen to this in verse 10. And the Lord said to Moses, go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow, have them wash their clothes and be ready by the third day. Because on that day, the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. Put limits in place for the people around the mountain and tell them, be careful that you do not approach the mountain or touch it, touch the foot of it. Whoever touches the mountain is to be put to death. They are to be stoned or shot with arrows, and not a hand is to be laid on them. No person or animal shall be permitted to live. Only when the ram's horn sounds a long blast may they then approach the mountain. And so, this challenge of relationship, that God desires relationship with us, and yet he's a holy God, and we, we can't be in his presence, is what we're reading right here. God's saying, I want to be with you. I want to put my arms around you and embrace you and treasure you. That's what we read back in uh, verse 5 earlier in this chapter last week. God says to Israel, you're my treasure possession. You're a holy nation set apart for my purposes, and you're a royal priesthood to go and, and tell the world that, that God is a God who saves and rescues, and he loves sinners. He wants to rescue us from our slavery to sin. That's what we're reading. But this problem is that God is a God who is holy, 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 and he cannot be approached lightly or by sinners. And that's why in verse 10, as we just read, God tells Moses to consecrate the people, prepare them, get them ready to meet with me, make sure they wash. And a bit later on, he says they're not allowed to have sex for a certain period of time. Not that sex is bad, but in preparation to encounter 
me. Why is that? Because to enjoy God's presence and the blessings of verse 5, as I just mentioned a moment ago, there must be a consecration. There must be a being made holy of people like you and I who have this problem of sin in our lives. And that's a problem that's taking place here. God wants to dwell with his people, but he is, uh, so he wants to be right in the midst of his people, Israel, but he is a holy God and they are not holy. That's why God sets the limits. You, you can't come up to the mountain, you can't touch the mountain because they're a safety barrier for you. The problem is that consecrating, for Moses to come and consecrate the people is still not enough for the people to meet God. Just a bit later in verse 23, Moses is saying this to God. He's saying, even though the, the, the horn may play loud and long, we're not going to be able to still ascend the hill of the Lord. The people can't come up to you because they're still, although they may be outwardly uh, cleansed and consecrated, inwardly they still have broken hearts that are rebellious and full of sin. And therefore, we can't touch the mountain. Moses can consecrate the outside people, external washing and things like that, but he cannot consecrate their hearts. And so this whole situation that's taking place here at the foot of Mount Sinai leaves Israel and us so clear that God wants relationship with people, but that he is also a dangerously holy God. And we see that in the next a bit of the passage that on the third day as God descends and his glory comes and rests on Mount Sinai that he is both awesome and terrifying and at the same time. Listen to this in verse 16. On the morning of the third day there was thunder and lightning with a thick cloud over the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast. Everyone in the camp trembled. Then Moses led the people out of the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord descended on it in fire. The smoke billowed up from it just like smoke from a furnace, and the whole mountain trembled violently. As the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and the voice of God answered him. So in this in this scene, we see that God is coming down and descending in his glory in fire because he's a holy God, a consuming fire on the top of the mountain. And the response of the people is that they trembled in fear before this holy God. Even Moses, we read in Hebrews chapter 12, even Moses trembled before God. And it wasn't simply because there was a lightning uh, display that God put on for them, but because the display of lightning and fire and smoke was the presence of God that came and dwelt. They, they were fearful at the holiness of God. I, I wonder how often you think about God as a holy God and what that means for, for your life, what that means for you as a follower of Jesus and how you live life. And, and so when God says you're a holy nation, literally holy, you're, you're set apart for the purposes of God, that should look like something in our lives where we look totally different to the world around us because Christianity and, and the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of Christians, isn't just a slightly different God to other gods. He is totally different to other gods. He is a holy God 
who demands holiness of his people. And I wonder if we think about God as a holy God. Tozer says this so helpfully, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. I wonder when the last time you trembled in awe at the holiness of God was. So like Isaiah, when he, when he had the vision of the temple and he saw the glory of God fill the temple, and he, and he saw God and he said, woe is me, I've seen the Lord and I'm a man of unclean lips and, and that sense of woe upon himself. I've seen the holiness of God, woe. Or when Peter uh, sees Jesus and, and, and realizes he, who Jesus is and he has that moment of, of realization and he says, depart from me, Lord, for I am a, I'm a sinner. I'm not worthy to be in your presence. I wonder if you've ever encountered the holiness of God. C.S. Lewis talks about the holiness of God and encountering God like this is so helpful. There comes a moment when people who have been dabbling in religion, man's search for God, suddenly draw back. Suppose, supposing we really found him. We never meant for it to come to that. Worse still, supposing he had found us. You see, it is actually essential for us to encounter the holiness of God. That is what God intends, that we see him in his majesty and might and awesome splendor and power. God, creator, maker of heaven and earth, sustainer and giver of life, who is holy, 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 wants to know you today. He wants to have relationship with you. He doesn't want you to just be somebody who does the, the church thing or somebody who is religious in life, just a professional gatherer to God. He wants to know you in deep abiding relationship. You see, we are a long way from the days of Sinai, both in terms of years that have passed, culture that's changed, and actually in the story of the Bible that has taken place. But God is still the same. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he is still dangerously holy. He still desires relationship with his people, but yet he still cannot be approached lightly or have sin in his presence. And people also have not changed from that time. We still need to be consecrated. We still need to be made holy to be able to meet with God and commune with him and enjoy relationship with him. It's why the writer in Hebrews says this in chapter 12, without holiness, no one will see the Lord. So how do we have relationship with God when we are separated, when we have to be separated because of sin, because of our rebellion and, and, and uh, rejection of God? We have to be separated. It's a key question. It's the question that actually is left hanging at the end of the Exodus. So in just after this moment, we're going to see that God gives his people laws that they're to live by. If you're going to be my holy people, a holy nation set apart for me, you need to live like this. This is what life in my kingdom looks like. And, and so Lord, the Lord gives them commands and instructions as to life, the Ten Commandments. And then he gives them instructions how to make a tabernacle where he will dwell in their midst. And we, we read at the end of Exodus how God descends in a cloud and his glory comes and fills the tabernacle in the innermost part, the holy of holies, 
God takes up residence among his people. But then we read the, 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 the awful news that even Moses and the people can't then have access into God's presence. And we're left with this question of how does God dwell among his people? And his people have that relational access to God. And the answer is this, that we need a mediator. And so in verses 20 through to 25 of chapter 19, we see Moses as this busy mediator scurrying up and down the the mountain over and over, up to God. God, what do you want to say to the people? Hey, people, this is what God says to you. What's your reply to God? Okay, back up he goes. God, this is what they say. Oh, you want to say that to them? And over and over we see Moses running backwards and forwards as a mediator between God and the people of God, telling the people the message of God, God's word to them. And yet, even then, Moses couldn't see God face to face. He was only a human, also in need of being made holy. He, couldn't only, he could only consecrate people externally, not inwardly. And even Moses, we read again in Hebrews 12, he trembled before the presence of God. It was on Mount Sinai, uh, back in Exodus chapter 3, that God initially encountered Moses at the burning bush. It was called Mount Horeb, but the same place. And God encountered Moses at the burning bush. And, and as Moses came towards the burning bush, you'll remember that the voice of God says, Moses, take your sandals off for the ground on which you stand is holy ground. You see, God demands holiness in his presence. And this is such a massive challenge. And, and so the people of Israel, they have Moses as a prophet and as a mediator between them and God. And he's, he's this incredible guy. And he has this amazing access to the presence of God, yet even his mediation is not enough. And the writer to the Hebrews uh, looks back on chapter 12 through the lens of the cross and looks back and, uh, sorry, looks back onto chapter 19 through the lens of the cross and explains to us what's taking place this side of the cross with the, with, with the benefit of hindsight saying, look, this is what is taking place. He says this in verse chapter 18 of Hebrews 12. You have not come to a mountain that can be touched. And and he goes on to describe the moment that God descended as we read a moment ago. I think that many Christians live for a Mount Sinai type moment. An encounter with God that is uh, one of thunder and lightning and God shaking. A a God fix. a, A mediator who will come and and talk to God on their behalf, a prophet who will tell them God's plan for their life, the the best preaching, the best worship leaders, a mountaintop encounter with God. And I think many of us live like that. And then we say to ourselves, well, I'd get serious with God relationally if that happens. I think many of us live like that because we are trained to be consumers by our culture. and, And we bring that mentality of consuming God into our lives and into our worship, into our relationship with God. And we end up, dare I say it, getting bored of God, which seems crazy when we should fear him. In fact, I think that at times we have become professional church gatherers. And just as I've been uh, reflecting on this passage over the last week or two, um, I found myself over and over again coming and repenting before God that actually so often I relate to him, not as God who is holy, 
that I can come into his presence and enjoy relationship with him. But in fact, I relate to God so often through the church. And of course, we need one another and we, we love gathering together and, and worshiping and reminding one another of who God is and to keep pursuing him and delighting ourselves in him and building one another up in our faith. But actually, God just says, you can come to me. He wants relationship with you today right where you are. The fact that we can't gather shouldn't affect our worship because our worship is about the one we worship, not about just what takes place on a Sunday. And so the fact that we can't gather shouldn't mean that we're not encountering the awesome, mighty, created God in, in awe and wonder of his majesty, mercy, and grace in our lives over and over again. The writer to the Hebrews goes on to say this, but you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly to the church of the firstborn whose names are written in heaven. Amen. You have come to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of the righteous made perfect. Here's the good news. We have something far greater than Israel had as they gathered at the foot of the mountain. We have something far greater than even Moses had than as he ascended up the mountain to meet with God. As awesome as that was, as, as incredible as that was, we have something even greater because their encounter with God ended in fear and trembling. But our encounter with the presence of God does not end with fear and trembling, but with joy and peace and hope and love because we have a greater mediator. Hebrews 12 goes on to say this, you have also come to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel because Jesus' blood cries out, grace, grace, Father, accept them because I have paid their penalty and debt of sin. Because the blood of Jesus deals with our sin, it washes our sin away. It satisfies the demands, the righteous, holy demands of justice that God has about sin and it makes us holy. Jesus is the mediator of the new covenant with his people. And Jesus is the greater mediator because he is from God who is God. Jesus is fully God, true God, and fully man. And so he perfectly is able to represent both parties to each other. Christ, our mediator, has come down and made God known to us. That's what the Apostle Paul is, is telling us about in Romans chapter 10. So here's the absolutely incredible news. If you want to meet today with the holy God, the same God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the same God of Israel, the same God of the disciples, the same God of the Apostle Paul, the same God of the early church, you only need to open your Bible and he speaks to you. You only need to turn towards him and he's run towards you, ready to embrace you. You only need to trust in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sin and he will give you new hope 
and a new future and place his spirit within you. That the, the temple of God is now not something that takes place up a mountain, but you are a temple of God. The church is the temple of God. The dwelling place of God is in his church. It's why, that's why Jesus, when he was talking to the Samaritan woman about where worship takes place, he said to her, it's one day, it's not going to be on that mountain or over in Jerusalem, but you're going to worship in spirit and in truth because that's the kind of worship that, a worshiper that God seeks out. And so you can encounter the holy God right now where you are. You haven't got to wait till we gather back together one day in, back, in, back in our gatherings, but you can encounter the holy God today where you are. And he wants to. He longs that just as you are his treasure, he longs that he would be your treasure also. It's so incredibly simple because Jesus has made a new and living way for us. See, Jesus as our mediator and as our sacrifice has made something so much further reaching and eternal take place than what Moses was able to do. In Jesus, the true God descended to be with humanity. He came to live among us, to tabernacle among us, to dwell among us, Emmanuel, God with us. And in Jesus, humanity has ascended to the presence of God that now we are seated in heavenly places with Christ Jesus. And in Jesus, we are able to enter the, the dangerously, dangerously holy presence of God and survive because he's made this new and living way. It's why uh, when Jesus was hanging on a cross, being shaken by God in our place, he took our punishment and our death. It's why as he died, the curtain of the temple in Matthew 27 was torn in two, top to bottom, because now through Christ, we are able to enter into the holy of holies and gaze upon the beauty and mercy and majesty and holiness of our King Jesus. We come to him now as sons and daughters, not with fear, but with deep joy. And I just pray that for you guys that in these days we would, our passion for God, for his glory and his presence in our, in our life would not diminish in any way. But can I encourage you to run the race all the more in these days, to, to lay hold of him because he has invited you into a kingdom that cannot be shaken. But he is a God who is a consuming fire. And so it's right that we worship him with awe and, and with, a, with a deep abiding uh, respect that he is a holy God. And yet we get to worship him with joy and life in abundance. Isn't that just amazing to think on? So I bless you guys today. I pray that God's presence would go with you this week, that his face would shine upon you and that he'll be gracious to you in all you do this week. May you know his love and his presence and his joy. Bless you all.